Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of things we're going to talk to Mike Lyons, who we love later this half hour, military analyst. I'm seeing a lot of the Trump hating media whining. I shouldn't say that. It's pretty prejudicial. Go ahead. Um, uh, disagreeing with Trump's thoughts on leaving Afghanistan and making a deal with the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Ah, is that just politics? I have, I find it hard to believe that they would be saying the same thing. If it were a Democrat president. No, they absolutely would not be. Go ahead, frame the argument for me. It's important that we stay in Afghanistan and continue the mission because we're going to win soon. Because that's usually what Democrats want. <clears throat> right. More more war and staying longer and more troops. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, more on that coming up on whether or not uh, Mike Lyons thinks it's a good idea or not. I, I watched a little Elizabeth Warren this morning and I thought, man, she has really got it going on. She's She's good at what she does. Um, was and, she talking about Afghanistan? No, okay. She was it's just she was just, okay. she was just talking healthcare and stuff like that. And so I've got these new numbers that are different than polls. 
Elizabeth Warren is attracting more media attention than anybody else. This is just looking at how much you're getting talked about on CNN, Fox, MSNBC, Twitter, everywhere, all that sort of stuff. And Elizabeth Warren is at the top of that list Mm -hmm. ahead of, uh, um, well, everybody. Others. Including Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. So that's pretty interesting. She got the buzz. Yeah. Well, she's she's got that happy warrior thing going. Well, she might actually be the nominee. I wouldn't have said that two weeks wow. ago. Wow. That'll be an interesting race. God, I would say. <whistles> Does Trump oh. go Pocahontas clear on through uh, 441 days if she's the nominee? I wonder. <laughs> Yes-ish. <laughs> yeah, probably. Jebra. <laughs> yeah, it's entirely possible. Uh, we'll find out, I guess. When's that uh, next debate again? Uh, nobody knows. Oh, August 28th, I believe. Uh, whenever that is. Check your local listings. Well, it's getting a lot of attention lately. Even the Wall Street Journal wrote about California's biggest cities confront a defecation crisis. Ah, boy. You like to make national attention if you're a state or a city for uh, how many people poop on your streets. California, America's Haiti. Where the power goes out when the wind blows and people just crap in the streets. Rural India is looking at California and saying, why can't you get your act together? Rural India. Oh, uh, and uh, the uh, the good folks at uh, Fox News, uh, William Lajeunesse, who we used to talk to a lot, he's a very nice man, uh, had this report. I see the outrage, but the outrage is phony. It's phony because nothing's being done. They just Alexandra Dadig claims Los Angeles made her sick by failing to clean up after the homeless. I've gone to the ER over a pathogen that I caught working in the financial district. L.A., San Diego, Sacramento, San Francisco all face a surge in homeless. Last year, San Francisco received 27,000 requests to pick up human waste. Residents now upload photos to alert the poop patrol. Six city employees paid 70 grand a year each to clean up feces. This website maps human excrement and used needles. Voters in November approved a new tax, helping add 23 mobile bathrooms. In May, the city recorded 50,000 flushes. To some, that's progress. But in nearby Sacramento, this woman had a message for Governor Gavin Newsom. I've been broken into. I've had my glass broken. Um, I clean clean up human excrement off of my doorstep every week. It's a national disgrace manifesting in the state. But it typifies political finger-pointing on the issue. Cal Osha recently fined the city of L.A. for unsanitary working conditions for failing to clean up human waste near City Hall. A recent court ruling prohibits cities in California from citing or removing homeless from public property unless they are first provided shelter. And that's something cities in the state have not done. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that, that is after hearing that, that's funny that that's the law. So a guy can go over in front of your donut shop and drop a deuce on the sidewalk. Right. And there's nothing legally you can do about that. Right. And as a donut shop owner, I guess <clears> I just got to hope people are willing to step over fresh, warm human poo to come in and buy a long fresh john warm donut. at yeah. my donut shop. Mm. Because there's nothing legally you can do about right. people pooping on the sidewalk. It's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. The ruling by the Ninth Circuit Court that you can't kick people off of public property, living on the sidewalks, living on the streets, in the parks, ruining your bike trail, ruining your riversides, the rest of it, unless you've provided a, a bed for them, is bizarre. It's it's created out of thin air. No matter 
their circumstances. No matter why they're living in a tent or how they came to be that, they just like it. Or they're a junkie. Or they, they're worthless. They have no work ethic. They're lazy. They're, yeah. they're settle down. They're stupid or whatever. No matter what. You can't say you got to stop living and crapping in front of that lady's shop unless you've offered them a bed. Where did that come from, that idea? Constitutional right. It's, Read the Constitution. Shut up. It's, it, it was invented out of the air. The yeah. Ninth Circuit Court has lost its mind. I can't possibly imagine... Well, there is no justification for it. That is such a strange notion. Well, your analogy yesterday, how much different is it than you rob somebody, take some money and say, well, I can't make my car payment. Right. So until you can provide a way for me to make my car payment, that's just another cost like rent. Right. I got to make my car payment. Um, I can't make my car payment. I got to get it somewhere. Right. Right. And you owe me that. I have a right to a basic living. Or you stand on the street corner screaming obscenities at passers-by, and you can't be arrested unless the government furnishes you with a social media account. What the hell? <laughs> Seriously. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether to stand on my head or poop on some business's doorstep. I mean, the world has lost its mind. If you brought in people from, well, any period throughout history, really, you know, in the in, in, in civilized world here. Um, uh, other cities, other parts of the country to California. And you yeah. said, you got that guy right there. He just squatted down. I know this is disgusting, but this is what's happening. Right. It's in the Wall Street Journal. Right. Um, he squats down. He does his thing. Number two, right in front of your store. And you say, there's nothing you can do about that. No. Nothing no. you can do to stop that yeah. guy. You have no legal recourse. And that, you, people would think that's you're crazy. And that person, either from a time machine or just, you know, on an airline who, who flew in, would ask you. So... There's no requirement that people support themselves. They don't have to even try, and and you'll take care of all their needs. And if they like camp in the middle of a park so the kids can't play there, and they're shooting up and they're crapping, the, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, no, because right. we don't have a shelter bed for every single person who's living like that. They would think you were crazy, yeah. and they would be correct. It's the current state of things. We'll uh, keep an eye on it. As we mentioned, we are going to talk to Mike Lyons, military analyst, about are we actually getting out of Afghanistan? It looks like we are. A lot of my cable media and uh, my newspapers are telling me that's a terrible idea. I've been begging for it for years. We'll talk about that next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Brian, I think it's fair to say that Mr. Trump did not create the mess in Afghanistan, but I also think he's going to end up owning its tragic outcome. We got this brilliant ambassador, Khalilzad, knows more about Afghanistan than anyone in the U.S. government negotiating in gutter with the Taliban. But Mr. Trump has said publicly, essentially, we're out politically by 2020. So what is there to negotiate? The Taliban are also winning. They now control more terrain than they have since 2001. The Afghan government is fractured, incompetent, corrupt. Their military is semi-dysfunctional. No belligerent ever negotiates away something they've won in the battlefield. 
The situation looks tragic. The outcome will come soon after we withdraw. That's General Barry McCafferty. He was on MSNBC last night. Uh, he's making the argument on why we got to stay in Afghanistan. Washington Post today, the editorial board piece is, Trump risks turning a chance for success in Afghanistan into a shameful failure. It sounds like it's a failure right now based on what General McCafferty just said. Taliban has more uh, property than they had in the last 18 years. The government is completely a mess. Right. So we've spent, I don't know, how many trillion dollars on this project? Thousands of lives, And all of these years and yeah. thousands of lives, and, and this is where we are? Why would I think it's going to get any better? Anyway, I need to hear from another expert. Yeah, with all due respect to uh, General McCafferty, Mike Lyons, military analyst for CBS News and others throughout the year, a retired major as well, uh, artilleryman. Mike Lyons, how are you, sir? Hey, guys, so great to be back with you. So uh, why don't we start with the, the general's uh, description of the situation, his prescription, which is we have to stay the course. Uh, your reaction? You know, that's a kind of a classic D.C. swamp, frankly, uh, description of what's going on uh, there. But, uh, you know, staying there is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over. I think we're going to get a different result. Uh, the president cut the troops in half. The da- Taliban took more uh, land while they were there. Um, this gets back to we've got to decide as a nation if we want to go to war like this endlessly and um, and do something about it. This, this president is at least willing to stick um, you know, a stake in the ground, and he's, he's going to take a very big political hit when um, when we see this turn into what will be Vietnam 1975. No question the Taliban is going to kick out the current government there, and they're going to return Sharia law and bring the whole situation back to 1999. But um, after 18 years, it was not, again, we want to spend another dollar, you want to spend another life there. I'm not sure that's a good option. Yeah, the political hit, the politics of it is is a different story. I I don't know how people are going to react to that. I would, I would assume after all this time, the country doesn't think, oh, my God, look what's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, my heart breaks for people who live there. God, so, yeah. I think of some little girl who's going to have to live in that country. That's awful. But we can't fix it unless we really dedicated a tremendous amount of manpower, lives, and money to it. And we're not going to do that. And establish a 100% police state. Be- because there are people right. living in those tragic conditions all over the world. Right. We had these ebbs and flows over the past 18 years. You know, the Obama administration comes in, said it was the good war, surges troops there to over 130,000. Uh, we gained control of most of the outlying provinces, and it went well from a military perspective. But then all of a sudden, you know, he wants out of there, too. He put conditions just like this president did. They were based on a calendar. He said that that was going to make the Kabul government uh, more responsive. That didn't do anything. The, the bottom line is it's still a country with a very low uh, rate of education. Um, the illiteracy rate remains very high. We've tried to impart Western values, which we think we can export, but we can't. And we've not exported um, the, uh, the, the capitalism that we should have. The Chinese have come in. They own a lot of the landmass in Afghanistan because they're stripping it out for uh, rare earth minerals as well. And, um, you know, again, the Taliban, when they, when they were in power, allowed al-Qaeda free reign there. I think the only difference now is we have this thread, this very thin needle that says um, if you bring al-Qaeda or anybody back, then that violates the deal and we're going to come back into Afghanistan. All that means is we're going to use strategic weapons to go after people. Yeah, I, 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 I'm certainly no genius. Just reading the news stories in the newspaper and following the news, I've been saying that now for like 15 years. We tell the Taliban mm-hmm. we're leaving, you're, you're going to take the country, but if you let al-Qaeda set up shop again, we're going to bomb the crap out of you. And I think right. they would, they would, they would, they would and, and we're going to end up in the same spot a decade and a half later. 
Right. Now, you're seeing also reports that al-Qaeda has increased its ranks by 4,500 in Afghanistan. Um, you're also seeing same resurgence of ISIS in, in, um, in Syria and, and Iraq. I, I can't tell if it's just the media just continuing to troll the president because he obviously says that we've defeated them. We haven't. It's not possible to defeat ideologies. Um, it's going to take a lot longer than that. But the bottom line is um, that whether the Taliban goes after al-Qaeda inside Afghanistan, uh, when they finally take over, remains to be seen. Mike Lyons, CBS military analyst on the line. You know, in the spirit of fairness, I criticized Barack Obama fairly harshly for setting timetables. Sure. Oh, because yeah. it's just mm-hmm. in, in this situation, you can't have that umbrella over negotiation. Or, or as General McCafferty pointed out, you, why would you negotiate if you mm-hmm. if you have the upper hand? So I don't like that. I get it politically speaking. Uh, it's always an election cycle, but I, I just don't think it's very smart. But no, we're going to have to call it something. Um, it's going to be victory or defeat. Um, we go into this with our eyes wide open. We were taking down the the Taliban government to, and taking out al-Qaeda after 9-11. It was great intentions. The Bush administration was all in. Everything was good. And then our focus shifted to Iraq. And frankly, we've been you know kind of wandering since then. And, and the military is not going to stand up and say we're not doing this anymore. That's just not what they're – that's not in their, in their DNA. Interesting. So there's this horrifying attack at a wedding in Kabul, Afghanistan over the weekend, and it was ISIS killed 65 people or something like that. And yeah. uh, the Taliban said, oh, that's beyond the pale. So where, where, where are the Taliban and ISIS? How do they fit into Afghanistan? So they perceive them to be a threat to um, the Taliban. The Taliban perceive uh, ISIS to be a threat to what they're trying to well, do. Well, then let's well. let the Taliban kill ISIS. Yeah, I, I, again, you'll see what they'll, they'll be more focused on getting control of Kabul and then the civil war takes place, which is really what's happening. We're on the brink of a civil war there inside, inside of Afghanistan. I mean, it's only been going on for, what, 9,000 years anyway. Um, and so mm-hmm. same, same, same with al-Qaeda. Uh, it's just as a matter of who is going to take control and who has the power and what they're going to do when they get it. Um, you know, whether maybe this is why the president wants out. He does. He definitely wants to pick it up uh, as a, an election accomplishment, and uh, which is why he wants out before the 2020 election. You know, if I were the president, Mike, I'd have a number of uh, of uh, axes to grind and causes that I would uh, babble about. But one of them would be helping Americans understand we can't solve everything. There mm-hmm. are some problems that just have to be managed. It's like a chronic right. health condition. You just do yeah. your best, and I think we, we as a country feel like we can fix everything, and we just can't. Right, and, and, and we've, we've, we need to pivot back to that Cold War mentality where we contain Russia. That was the big thing to contain, but, and now we've got to do the same kind of containment in the Middle East and in Afghanistan in a smaller scale. And the problem is we don't have the military designed to do that. We, we, we're into the strategic weapons. We're going to hit you from 500 miles away, and you, you'll, never see the, you'll never see it coming, all those kinds of things. We still built a military around occupying and working with uh, our allies on the ground, knowing full well that uh, we're not going to change anything. We're not going to change hearts and minds no matter what we bring to the table. Next time we talk, buying Greenland with Mike Lyons, <laughs> mili- military analyst, giant airfielder. Yeah. Mike, it's always enlightening. Thanks a million. Perfect, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. My only final note on this is the annoyance of the media. I just do not believe that NBC and the Washington Post would be arguing against leaving Afghanistan if Barack Obama were doing exactly the same thing. No I just don't way. believe it. Nope. People, people, smart people of good conscience can be on both sides of this argument, no doubt. Absolutely. But I don't believe that's what's happening with the Washington Post. If Barack Obama was saying it's been long enough, uh, we're going to get out, they'd be cheering it. Sure. Guaranteed. That's really maddening. Yep. 
What's coming up in your news, and, Marshall? And for the record, we were saying the same stuff when old Barry was the president. Yeah, I was. That we are now. I've been for getting out the whole time. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? California's new deadly use of force law stirring up a national debate. Jill Biden's rather odd endorsement of husband Joe. Yeah. And turning hostility <laughs> into inspiration. Wait a minute. I could use that. <laughs> That'd be a cool pivot. What if I can do that? Stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. Alligators have learned to climb fences in Florida. There's a video of somebody driving along the highway and an alligator's climbing over the fence getting onto the highway. Boy, when they can drive, that's going to be really <laughs> terrifying. I don't know when, they, when they take flight, I'll right. tell you. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, the standard for when police can use deadly force in California is soon going to be tightening up. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a highly debated bill allowing police officers to legally use such force only when absolutely necessary instead of when reasonable. Newsom says the mentality of law enforcement needs to be reconstructed. Training matters, yes. Accountability matters, certainly. Transparency, indeed. But culture, changing hearts, changing minds, changing our approach to dealing with one another. As simultaneously... California and other blue states become more and more lawless. Yeah, I want to. I want to be fair about this, but I would like. Agreed. to I would like to ask Gavin, the governor of California, since he hopes this will be the new standard for the country. Right. If you were a police officer and it's dark and and a guy's got something that could be a gun, and he's waving it around and he won't drop it, and you're yelling, "Drop it! Drop it! Drop it!" and he won't drop it, and then he points it toward you, would you just go ahead and wait? To see if it was a gun, because you have to be certain under the new rules? At, at what point does that become transition from reasonable to necessary? Well, exactly. Yeah. That's what the what's what courts are going to have to decide. Well, and listen, it has outraged me since I was a little kid. Juries who say, yeah, you and your wife were asleep in the bed, and you woke up with a knife at your throat, and you fought the guy, and you shot him, but you could have retreated to a different room, so we're going to find you guilty of... Uh, murder. It makes me insane. The idea that you could have, as we sit here in these padded chairs judging you, I can, and, and if you've ever served on a jury, it's a terrifying experience. People just are so lacking in common sense, but um, if you could, sitting there rubbing your chin, think of a different way you could have handled it. I mean, that as a standard is just terrifying. You're going to see mass defections from police departments. At the same time, as a lover of liberty, the idea that government employees can just casually take lives if they're miffed. I mean, that's horrifying. Or if they're somewhat afraid or there's an idea you might be dangerous. No, that, that, that line is very difficult to draw. I concede that. Yeah, there there have been stories over the years. I mean, I'm not talking about the ones where they're obviously wrong, like that guy up in Minnesota. I mean, he just shot that woman. He panicked and shot that woman. He killed her. He shouldn't sure. have been a cop, and, right. and she got murdered. Right. Um. Uh. <clears throat> I lost. I lost my train of thought. Um. Doctor. Uh, well, uh, you got the various shootings that are used to justify this measure. Some are completely unacceptable. 
some oh, are yeah. practically impossible to think how the cops would have behaved differently. Yeah, and they're but, all grouped together. But there have yeah. been a number of them over the years where I I felt like they they they're going into their job to serve and protect themselves by by far the highest priority over this perhaps mentally ill person that's in front of them. Right, a little quick to the gun, yeah. maybe, but. Uh, and again, these are difficult issues. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And it's probably worth saying, keeping in mind, that Gavin Newsom is absolutely a posturing, full of crap grandstander, making these grand pronouncements about how this will sweep across the nation and this is a bold new thing. You know, some of it's good. You know, policing, again, policing is very, very difficult, especially in the modern day. Um, and we ask them to do impossible tasks. Yeah, and cops are getting gunned down all the time, too. And and in his big news conference, he had pictures of people shot by cops, again, some of which were completely unacceptable, some of which were completely righteous, but there were no pictures of any cops who were murdered and whose kids will grow up fatherless or motherless because they were a little slow to defend themselves. Jill Biden. Jill Biden is offering up a rather interesting endorsement of her husband, the former pres- uh, Vice President Joe Biden, while campaigning in New Hampshire, Jill said. But you've got to look at who's going to win this election. And maybe you have to swallow a little bit and say, OK, I sort of personally like so-and-so better. But your bottom line has to be that we have to be Trump. Hmm. See, that that is odd from the spouse. Yeah. That's perfectly reasonable. Oh, it's perfectly reasonable. It's, yeah. it's, it is kind of funny coming from your wife. For those of you who don't like my husband, and you think, oh my God. And there's plenty rough. of you, for good reason. <laughs> right. Right. Let's remember, let's keep our eye on the prize there. Yeah, here's Jill again. But you've got to look at who's going to win this election. And maybe you have to swallow a little bit and say, okay, I sort of personally like, like so and so better. But your bottom line has to be that we have to be Trump. That was the same clip again, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I just oh, okay. was replaying it. I see. You. Well, it was good. You want to play it again? <laughs> no. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> we got a new study out that finds anger is actually more effective during halftime speeches than inspiration. <laughs> Researchers at the University of Anger Cal- is more effective than right. inspiration. Yeah. What's the matter with you bums? <laughs> You want to lose? You like losing? You're losers. <laughs> Researchers at the University of California, as opposed to you get one chance in life, and this is the chance for us all to come together. Nah. We'll remember this game for the rest of our lives. <laughs> throw a water That's why you lose it, you losers. <laughs> yeah, you got to throw a cooler. You got to smash a lock. Yes. University of California Berkeley researchers analyzed hundreds of halftime speeches and final scores from high school and college basketball games and found that players seemed to perform better after a harsh, more negative halftime speech from their coach. I'm going to call my mother, ask if she can come and play some defense, because you guys play defense worse than old women. I'm looking at you, Jones. Good stuff. They, they even discovered that the more negativity a coach includes during a halftime speech, the more the team typically outscored their opponents in the second half. Wow, so, boy. Wow, go. that's interesting. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny. I had a conversation with a guy the other day about coaching, and it was clear he just didn't get it. Um, I love coaching. I love coaching theory. I have been supporting uh, the Positive Coaching Alliance for a right. long time. Um, and I, I prefer positive coaching to negative. Um, 
But that that's interesting. I want is that sound, Jack? Do you think? It wouldn't work on me. Is your Freakonomics uh, bone a humming? I don't know. I'm trying to noodle this through. I just it's surprising to me. Well, because the best coaching is you you reinforce what people are doing well, right? And you praise it, and you make sure they know they're appreciated, and you let them know how they can do better. My Um, my limited personal experience is that being the most successful. Right. having seen in high school. But that's but, you know limited to just my experience. Not all coaching is equal, right? If you're trying to teach a little leaguer the love of baseball, yes, that's a very good thing. If you're trying to win championships at a state or professional level, no. I'm not here to, to reemphasize the things that you're doing good, Johnny. Sure. <laughs> Although, I tell you what, there's a very different uh, approach to coaching in practice yeah. and at, at the halftime of a game, yes. too. Yes, Very different. I have heard uh, Tom Tolbert, a former NBA player, on his radio show talking about how, and the pros are just no speeches. I mean, people roll their eyes at any speeches. We're professionals. We right. motivate ourselves. That's how we got here. Right. It's just, yeah, let's strategize. <laughs> let's not motivate. And that's probably right. why you hear a lot of the coaches. They don't say anything, really, in the locker room. They just point out a couple of things. And I remember what's-his-name's on fire, so keep an eye on him or whatever. But right. there's no inspiration or yelling. Don't yeah. yell at me. I make five times as much money as you. But we're talking about- <laughs> We're talking about uh, college, right? Yeah. yeah. College yeah. and high school. And high school, and high school. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> oh, how how negative works, though? Did they uh, have like a sliding scale? I mean, Jones, you don't start playing defense. I'm going to kill you. I mean, that's probably too negative. I hate you. I hate you all. It's probably too much. That reminds me of the Peyton Manning Saturday Night Live bit when he's playing with the little kids and oh, throwing yeah. the football. Yeah. Oh, come <laughs> Just drilling them in the yeah. chest. <laughs> Are you trying to lose? <laughs> All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Is it just when you're a kid, you're scared of adults? Is that it? Just get your adrenaline going? Because when well, you, you want to rise to their expectations, I think that's it. As, as, as a friend, <laughs> I would guess it is yeah. that starts being effective at yeah. the varsity high school level. I think before that, you probably get a lot of kids who kind of shut down. They that. become yeah. fearful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 afraid to do anything wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's where I always always oh geez, he's going to be mad. Yeah, <laughs> I better do nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. I had a soccer coach that would smoke in this van as we would go and run laps. <laughs> That was great. Not sure how how motivating was that? Him smoking in his van. Yeah. Boy. Not real motivating. I tell you what, for for uh, younger fags, friends of Armstrong, you get it. You might be amused by this. My Little League coach, who I absolutely loved. I love to this day. He's passed on. but um, And this was in the 70s. Um, was that right? Yeah, the late late 70s. Yeah. He would chain smoke filterless Pall Malls. Oh, on on the bench during games and practices, he would drain a six pack every <laughs> practice. Uh, old style beer, by the way, in bottles during practice. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And this is not a hundred years ago. Something that would make national news now is just such an example of bad behavior. Oh yeah. Oh, he was a great coach too, man. He under- how many of your lives were ruined by this? By oh, the most way? of them. Yeah, <laughs> practically all of them. Exactly. He he understood people and kids so well. Um, he was like a father figure and a pretty damn good baseball coach, but yeah. just completely outrageous. I mean, he would not last five minutes. Oh, no. No, well, of course not. In, he wouldn't last five minutes in as modern you America. walk to the practice <laughs> right. field with your six-pack. What, what are you doing? And it's, it's probably worth I'm, putting I'm out. bringing my six-pack to the practice It's field. hot. I'm going to drink some beer. <laughs> 
watching <laughs> watching ten year olds play baseball. And it's probably worth pointing out I did not play Little League in Afghanistan, you know, Chicago. So Yeah, different times. Different times. How can things change that fast? And, and yeah. To go from nobody gave a damn to just so wildly unacceptable people would poo themselves. Yeah. Meh. Not all changes progress, my uh, friends. Um, uh, I'm glad we had some chuckles here because it's not a funny thing I want to bring up next about Jeffrey Epstein. I think I now understand what his deal was. Okay, the scumbag. It's just, it's just. I've been wondering the whole time. What is his thing? Why does he? You know, what motivates a guy like this when he ruined his life and should have known he was ruining his mm-hmm. life? But right. I think I know now. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Put our hands in. We're going to have fun. We're going to encourage each other. Teamwork on three. One, two, three. Teamwork. Peyton uses football to teach valuable lessons of communication. Check, 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 check. Watch the sale. Watch the sale. Pink, pink. Watch the blitz. Proud 55 Razor. Done. Open. Get open. Get your head out of your ass. Suck. Playing with little kids. That's Peyton Manning coaching children. <laughs> hey, by the by, I, I, I would like to point out if you're tuning in, notice we're playing a lot of Led Zeppelin uh, bumper music. Nobody has died. Well, other than John Bonham in '79. Uh, it's Bob Plant's birthday. So we're playing all Greta Van Fleet music today. <laughs> Bonham, to Bonham was the drummer? Yes, okay. he was. Bonzo, we one got, of the all-time greats. We got this text. You're talking about your uh, coach drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Who yeah. was your little league coach? Walter Matthau from Bad News Bears? That is, that is, that's, that's the era. A lot like that, but a better coach. Yeah, yeah. that's the era. Wow. You need a better coach. They went to the championship, the Bad News Bears. <laughs> you know what? I stand corrected. <laughs> Sorry. With a ragtag group. Um, Chuck Ferguson. Shout out to his uh, his kids who are kicking around somewhere, I'm sure. He's passed, but still think of him fondly. No one will ever think of Jeffrey Epstein fondly. He is a scumbag. I'm glad he's dead. Um, it's sickening that he was able to do what he did as long as he did. It shows how money can buy power, which is kind of the part of, point of this little segment. Uh, and we should look into how that happened and try to stop that from being able to uh, occur ever again. Anyway, so a uh, headline yesterday in the New York Post, Jeffrey Epstein bought himself three 12-year-old girls from poor families for his birthday one time. That, that from newly released court documents. Wow, that's some ugly third-world stuff there. Yeah, I mean, and it was always <clears throat> gross and disgusting and illegal, and I'm glad he's dead, and I could have strangled him myself and slept like a baby afterwards when it was 14, 15-year-olds, but... Man, 12 is really young. Oh, yeah. Jeez, what yeah. is wrong That's with you, That's a real dude? sicko. And, yeah, yeah, and he did that on purpose. So, um, three 12-year-old girls, he had flown in from France for his birthday as a sick birthday present from his, for himself. But this is the part that I found was interesting. The person that testified to the knowledge of this sort of thing said... He was laughing the whole way through and recounting this story to me. He thought it was absolutely brilliant how easily money seduced all walks of life. Nothing or no one couldn't be bought. That, I think, was his entire motivating thing. He obviously was a sex pervo and all that sort of thing. But he was clearly 
amused by the fact and the belief that you can buy anything mm-hmm. or anyone, and I'm going to prove it on a, on a regular basis. Right. From, that was his thing. From 12-year-old girls from France to, uh, to the affections and companionship of Bill Clinton and Trump and anybody else. I think that explains that painting in the way that we were speculating last week. I am such a big deal. I throw around so much money. I can have this mocking picture of a president hanging in the hallway, and all y'all will come into my house and just kind of ignore it because I'm right. a big deal. Right. And and Billy Jeff is allegedly a friend of mine. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's something. So it was, it's got to be about the power because obviously the sex thing doesn't really make sense. No, it's a compulsion. He had a child sex compulsion. He may have enjoyed the power, too, but uh, uh, no, it's not just power. It can't be, because there are plenty of ways to exercise your power that wouldn't get you thrown in jail. No, you have to have the sex component also. Right. But it's but it's got to play such a large role because the difference between having sex with a 16 year old and an 18 year old would be nothing. Right. It's all mental. Right. Yep. But what a what a scumbag. I bet we learned then, you know, that's from court documents that came out yesterday. There's going to be a lot more of what he did. I just I want to know how he worked the system. That's what I want him to get down to. What prosecutors did you threaten? Who did you buy off? What politicians turned a blind eye to this sort of stuff? Oh, yeah, that's what I'd like to know. Well, and that's that's the only regret I have that the uh, uh, piece of garbage is dead. If someday he decided to show I'm still powerful, even though I'm in this little cage. And start naming names and and who knew and the rest of it that that had been satisfying. But well, if the justice system thinks it would have been important to keep him alive, why the hell didn't they keep him alive? The least shocking thing that could have happened happened. The very least shocking thing. Sure, he yeah. killed himself in jail. Yeah, they put him in the hands of bureaucrats who were you know allegedly understaffed or underworked and decided to sleep through their shift instead of uh, keeping him alive. So he's dead now. You know, grand conspiracy theories are, are lovely and fun, but it's just incompetence. Hashtag just Clinton st- body count. Okay, then. Uh, somebody told me that that uh, picture of his uh, fellow rapist, the woman, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, that f- picture of her eating at a California In-N-Out restaurant was photoshopped in a couple of different ways. I only heard about that once from my parents, so that was floating around over the weekend. Yeah, a buddy of mine told me that. I I, I have not dug into it, so I don't know much but about it. But she was eating at an In-N-Out in California. Yeah, that I saw the picture, but he said like the ads on the bench were fake behind it just, her. And... It just seems hard to believe. She's pretty recognizable, and this has been a pretty big story. Is she that recognizable? I don't know. She's just a, a woman, middle-aged woman. But you you think she would be out and about just going to in and out sitting in a booth eating with her current situation? She's certainly following the news. Yeah. Seems pretty unlikely. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. That'd although, be shocking. Although I'm in the business, I've seen her picture many times and if I were in the in and out eating my burger, um and she were to turn to me and say, "Wow, these fries are good, aren't they?" I would as immediately think you're that woman that got Epstein all the rapey girls. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't notice. Really? No. Part of that's my weird context thing. It's like you run into your coworker at the mall and you freak out because you know you know them. But, um, yeah, anyway. Well, that's ugly. Anyway. Oh, yeah. speaking of Led Zeppelin. What? I said, yeah. Oh. Uh, the age of ocean-crossing Zeppelins came to an end in 1937 when the Hindenburg erupted in flames landing in New Jersey. Dozens died, leaping, etc. Oh, my God, the humanity. Now, more than 80 years later, the giant airships may be poised for a comeback. Why? 
Not for passenger service, but as an environmentally friendly means of delivering goods around the globe. The new airships uh, in the scientific paper that's getting a lot of attention would be 10 times bigger than the 800-foot Hindenburg. Whoa. More than five times as long as the Empire State Building is tall and soar high in the atmosphere. Did you say 10 times bigger? I did, sir. But 800, that'd be 8,000 feet. Well, a mile and a half long? (laughs) Not necessarily 10 times as long, 10 times as much volume. Uh, But that's big as hell. (laughs) Look for one in a sky near you. Jeez, and scream. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 